Hi, and welcome to Forest of the Future. Today, we are going to talk about one of the innovations in FSC that one might say finally have been implemented. It's a concept that I've heard debated and conceptualized since I joined FSC almost 18 years ago, and now it's here. A stepwise approach to certification for certain forest owners, or continuous improvement as it is called. But was this concept worth the long wait? What took so long? And what does it actually mean in practice? That is the core of today's conversation, where I've invited two of the people who've had a central role in making this concept a reality. Vera Santas, who's our program manager for Community and Family Forest, and Jens Kanstrup, who's a senior advisor at the environmental NGO Forest of the World. And both of them are also old timers in FSC like myself and just experts in their field. Let's dive right in. Welcome, Jens. You have worked with communities, especially in Latin America, for more than 20 years. And I guess you've worked with FSC for just as long. So I'm thinking that you might be one of the best person to explain this to us. Why is it so difficult for community and family forest owners to get FSC certified? Why don't they just do it? There are two main reasons for that. One of the main reasons why it's so difficult for communities and smallholders is that the entire system has been designed for a completely different type of operation. The FSC system has been designed for large operations. From its beginning, it was mainly concessions in tropical forests. And that means that the entire principles and criteria and all the surrounding policies and requirements, they're designed for that type of forest management unit, which means that a lot of the requirements you find in the principles and criteria today are actually not really meant for smallholders and communities, but they are still in the principles and criteria. It's one of the things that we're trying to deal with today is how to open up and close down some parts of the principles and criteria so they actually fit the purpose that they're serving. And the other really big obstacle for communities and smallholders is a simple economy. It's just a matter of size and economy. A typical FSC certificate, a typical evaluation would cost you a set price, no matter if it's a community of 2,000 hectares or if it's a large plantation operation of several thousand hectares. It would be basically more or less the same cost. And that means the cost per hectare or per economic turnover is much higher for communities and smallholders than it is for larger operations. And then lastly, it's also much more difficult for communities and smallholders to compete in the market. And it's very difficult for them to find good market opportunities and demand for FSC's certified community timber, for instance. Mm -hmm. So I have a few follow-up questions for that. So first and foremost, you were talking about the principles and criteria being difficult for the smallholders and community forest owners to live up to because they're designed for larger concessions, basically. Could you give an example of one of the areas where it's not fit for purpose? As a, a very good example, you can take pretty much the whole of Principle 10. Principle 10 is about uh, civic cultural practices. They are mainly designed for Forest operations like the ones we see in Europe or the US, where you have very intensively managed plantation, semi-natural, natural forest. And so it has got a lot of provisions as to how to minimize damage from that type of management. 
And if you look look at principle 10 from the point of view of a community managing natural forest in Bolivia, as an example, because I know that example very well, most mm-hmm. of principle 10 is completely irrelevant because it's very low intensity managed forest. They take out a very small volume per hectare in, in the tropical uh, rainforest where they extract timber. And so all the provisions that are aimed at uh, minimizing the impact of clear cutting and manipulation of regeneration and et cetera, et cetera, that is the main scope of principle 10 is, in my opinion, completely irrelevant for most uh, community managed forests and should thus not be implemented, if you ask me. And the problem is that in the principles and criteria, this is not clearly indicated. So I guess that also brings us to the cost, because when you say it costs the same, people not fully versed in FSC's cost and fee structure then might not know that FSC actually has different sets of fees depending on how big is your forest? Is your forest a smallholder or community forest? Then you also get a lower fee. But when you're saying the cost is still more or less the same, it sounds like your point is that it's because the auditor has to go to that forest still and they have to go through the entire set of principles and criteria. And that brings the cost up. So even though the fee might be lower, it still requires the same amount of time from the auditor. Yes, exactly. The fee, I think, in fact, the fee is pretty much zero for smallholders and small community operations. So one of the solutions that I've heard you talk about for many years is the continuous improvement. I think we at least had the first time this conversation more than 15 years ago. Why is this concept so important for you? Within the FSC system, we have been talking about what is called stepwise approach for almost Mm -hmm. 20 years, I think, actually. And it has never really been implemented. But the idea being that instead of having to comply with everything from day one, you can sort of implement parts of the principles and criteria over time, thus reducing the initial cost and difficulty of FSC certification. So you, you sort of get into a process that will guide you towards full FSC certification over a five-year time period. And of course, that will allow m- more communities and smallholders to get certified from the starting point. We did manage to get some other interesting stuff worked into the continuous improvement procedure. And one of them is the concept of site-disturbing activities. I've always had the firm belief that for many communities and, and smallholders who are not actually doing any site-disturbing activities, you don't enter the forest with machinery, you don't do skidding and stuff like that that is really damaging the remnant forest. Based on that, we designed the CIP in a way so some parts of the PNC can actually be closed down for uh, communities and smallholders who are not doing any site-disturbing activities. Okay, so Jens, we will dive more into what else is needed and how can we improve even more. But before we do that, maybe Vera, I'd like to bring you in because can you Tell us exactly what this new method of certification for communities and family forests, what is it that they can do now that they couldn't before? Basically, FSC has now the rules, both for the users, for the community and family forests, and for the certification bodies on how to implement a stepwise mm-hmm. approach, a phasing way to go to forest management certification. FSC has already for long uh, what we call the, the special indicators for some of these users. But right now, what the procedure allows is that the communities, the smallholders will be able to get certified with half 
of the criteria. But we don't stop there. We need to make sure that the FSE system is not jeopardized in terms of its integrity. So they besides that, they need to conform to present to the certification body an action plan where they explain how they envision to move forward to the rest of the criteria. Right now, with the continuous improvements, some additional tools have been made available. Some of them are mandatory, some of them are voluntary, like the self-assessment conformity check. This is to empower the user to say, look, I'm the one with a checklist that goes through how my forest resources are right now and how they compare to the FSE certifications. They can take their time in this pre-certification phase, and then this can already be used as a source of information for the certification body. But they are the ones using this, choosing to use or not, and to assess their, in the first moment, how far, how close they are already to the, the certification rules. The fact that uh, this procedure also proposed to, to use a very interesting figure, which is not new, it's an expert to be incorporated on the audit team, but it's called the local expert. So it's now required that if you want to use the continuous improvement procedure to get your forest certified, the audit team needs to look for a local expert that can be the, the liaison, the interlocutor with uh, those communities and the smallholders. Certification body will not be someone coming from a completely different reality, an inspector, tax authority going there and say, you are doing this wrong. No, the local expert can translate the requirements in the, the reality of those communities and can help them understand what's the, the rationale behind some of the rules or some of the changes that FSE needs to see happening on the ground in order to accommodate mm -hmm. And the last but not the least set of elements is in terms of the cost, which was also mentioned by Jans. Right now, it's very clear that if there's a good performance, if communities, if the family forests that are applying the continuous improvement procedure do as they are proposed to do, they will be waived some of the on-site audits. This will immediately have a huge impact on the cost. So if they are, performing well if they are, moving towards the full conformancy of the requirements, they will be waived some of the of the audits. Okay, so the auditor don't have to go there every year. Exactly. Maybe just to add to what Vera just explained, you can say that with this continuous improvement procedure, based on a risk assessment, you actually only have to implement the parts of the principles and criteria that are necessary to meet the impacts uh, your management is having on the forest resource. On one point, I actually disagree with Vera. I think it's actually more cost-effective than Vera just said because some of the very, very difficult parts of the principles and criteria are related to making inventories, for instance, and assessments and stuff like that. Uh, you can say we have HCV assessment, you have assessment on environmental values in the forest and stuff like that. And you only have to do that if you do site-disturbing activities. So I, I think in, in that sense, it's very, very sensible, in my opinion, much more sensible tool to certification than the normal principles and criteria, actually. Mm -hmm. So you're actually saying maybe we should expand this beyond the smallholders and community forests in the longer term? In some cases, it, it would be entirely relevant, yes. In the future, maybe you will have more, even very large private owners looking more into ecosystem services rather than 
timber production, for instance, if that is the case, I don't see why they shouldn't be able to use some of the same ideas to fit the principles and criteria better for the use and the need they have in their management. So I would say it depends entirely on the type of management. And the FSC needs to be much more clear about when parts of the principles and criteria are relevant and when they are not. And that should be stated much more clearly with the principles and criteria because it will make it much more easy for forest owners and the certification bodies to to implement it correctly then. Mm -hmm. If we then move back to this community and family forests, do you think that this will make a difference on the ground? Do you think more will get certified or, or do we need to do more? I certainly think that it makes a difference for some types of forest managers. There's no doubt in my mind that especially for certain types of communities, size-wise, they're usually not so small, actually. And I'm sure that many managers of that type of operations, like communities and smallholders, between 100 and 1,000 hectares, I also think would be helped substantially by the continuous improvement procedure. But I see two big challenges still. One of them is related to the fact that you do have to implement the full set of PNC over time, if you do timber harvest, for instance, which means that if you have a very complex and difficult national standard you have to implement over five years, at the end of the day, you still have to implement it and and you still have to suffer all the difficulties and costs of, of that implementation. You just spread it over five years, which is, of course, it's a positive development, but you still have to do everything. So I think simplification of the national standards is still a major issue we need to deal with. FSC has made some progress on this, but there's still some way to go. And then there's one really, really big challenge we're still facing, and that is what I call very small boulders. Because in Denmark, for instance, most forest owners manage less than 20 hectares. And when we're talking about that type of forest management units, we get into a completely different environment. And even the simplest national standard with the continuous improvement procedure in place, everything else we can offer them at the moment within the FSC would be completely economically unfeasible. There's so many of that type of management unit, especially in Northwest Europe, Baltic states, Germany, Denmark, thousands and thousands of very, very small forest holdings they manage. And we still need to find some sort of a solution for them to bring them into the FSC. But apart from that group, Mm -hmm. I think we have made a lot of progress over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you hinted to that you'd like to see us do is link certification with the ecosystem services. Is this something that you're actively working on? Well, I'm not the only one. So, but there's a there's no. <laughs> a technical working group where, uh, within the FSC at the moment and uh, revising the the ecosystem service procedure, which is an add-on to normal FSC certification. So, in addition to your uh, forest management certification, you can then add on a certification of certain claims for ecosystem services you deliver to either a sponsor directly or it can also be somebody who's interested in a certain ecosystem service can sponsor activities enhancing and protecting ecosystem services in managed certified forests. I'm a part of the technical working group and of course we are looking very, very closely to the continuous improvement procedure because there are quite a number of interesting elements in there that can be used also to to make ecosystem service procedure 
make it more accessible for smallholders and communities. And actually, one of the main obstacles in relation to that is that it's linked to forest management certification. So you need to have the forest management certificate before you can use the ecosystem service procedure. It is likely to continue that way, but because we have these provisions in the continuous improvement procedure, especially related to silencing parts of criteria when you're not doing any site-disturbing activities, then I think the combination of the continuous improvement procedure and the ecosystem service procedure could, in fact, in the future, be an interesting option for communities not interested in timber production. Mm -hmm. And therefore, increasing your income by, for example, getting payment for pursuing Just to very quickly mention a concrete example, we're working with a community Mm -hmm. in Bolivia. They are extracting uh, cocoa from the forest, wild cocoa growing in in patches in the forest. They're managing about 120 hectares of forest with the aim of producing cocoa. But the cocoa extraction is actually not a, a very feasible option for them. And so it's actually not very feasible based on the income from cocoa alone to do a management of the area. But if you could add an income from a sponsor who are willing to help them to pay some of the costs of managing the area for producing biodiversity benefits, for producing water benefits, recreational benefits, whatever, then it could actually make that activity feasible for them. For me, it's a question of giving a value to some crucial services that we really want to deliver as FSC and make it feasible for the owners. It sort of links to to a question I'd like to ask you, Vera, because we introduced the fact that Jens and I have been talking about continuous improvement or stepwise approach or modular approach or whatever we've called this for more than 15 years. And now we're talking about, well, how can we actually revamp different parts of the FSC system so that it becomes more risk-based, so that it becomes more modular so that we could actually be more agile, I guess, to reach more FSC certification. Why did it take us more than 15 years to get this into place? That's for me, it's one of the favorite questions I could receive because FSC, it is complex, but it is complex because from the beginning, we had uh, considered so many dimensions in terms of forests, forest conservations, forest management. Most of the topics that are now quite important, indigenous people's rights, biodiversity, conservation, mainstream, labor rights, and all of those elements, we have it from the beginning. The way the system developed was quite organic. So it created a spaghetti of rules and requirements and standards and procedures. And every time that we try to simplify or change something, the entire set of the spaghetti ball comes together and we can actually break everything if we are not careful. These are the the downsides of the 30 years of experience FSE has as a system. The good part is that now we do know where our fragilities are and what are the main challenge. We have many supporting systems in place to cater for the integrity. And we've been working in the last uh, six, maybe seven years on concepts that can now be quite consequent 
on how we want to address. So the, what you use the term, the risk-based approaches. FSE was very risk-adverse. The credibility of the system, of the label, is something that we cannot dismiss very easily. So that's lots of considerations had to be done by our members, by our board, to how can we maintain that while pursuing simplification. And the other element that uh, Jens is mentioning quite a bit during this talk was about uh, how can we adapt the principle and criteria of so our backbone, our set of requirements to the, the reality on the grounds. And we are also working on a concept that will reflect that the, the outcome orientation, the impactful standards, everything that we have been doing and learning now can be grounded, can be uploaded in the, the next development FSE is working on. The principal criteria and the IGIs are set for revision in the next year and a half. Because of that, we have been able now to, to start implementing some of these concepts that 15 years ago didn't seem so, so feasible. There was lots of fear on how can we maintain the gold standard that FSE has born to be. But now we are also very aware that how important it is for us to be relevant for this kind of users, for communities, for smallholders. I think we have also the capability of acknowledging alternative types of management. Jens were mentioning we've been very successful on, uh, on our forests in global north plantation, semi-natural, our type of natural forest, but tropical forest with the diversity, the knowledge was different, the challenges are higher, and we have now the, the ability to, to be relevant also for these users by the tools that we have. I need to disagree with what Jan said about the, the tiny, teeny holders, because there are additional solutions FSE has offered that uh, have also been revised in the last years, the case of the group certification, that can be quite successful with these uh, really small-scale settings that we can see. I'll give you a concrete example. When we launched the, this revised standard one year ago, we worked with, the, with our national teams in Iberia, where the small-scale is very radical. You have an average in, in Portugal, probably one third in Spain of uh, less than one hectare, which can be quite comparable with other regions in the world. And in one year, by adopting some of the innovative features of the revised group standard, they grow in a micro holding setting. This is huge. Of course, it's a European country, so legal framework, rules about labor, conservation, ecological safeguards, everything is in place, which we don't observe in Latin America or in Africa or in Asia Pacific. But this shows the potential of uh, the tools that we've been working upon on the, on the last years. We just need to be systematic on how we evolve forward. For the, the members, for the stakeholders that had the chance to attend one of the side events on the General Assembly about impactful standards, they know that in three, four years we'll be living very exciting moments in FSE because the outcome orientation that we want to see happening, cross-cutting the entire system, we can see probably very again, avant-garde approaches that uh, only FSE can do it because of our experience, because of all the challenge that we've been able to overcome, the knowledge, the failures, the success, and the very committed members like Jens. Mm -hmm. 
Avant-garde solutions. Yes. <laughs> that, that sounds to me like something, because I know you, I've known you for many years, and I know that you and your organization is one of the ones that really try to safeguard the integrity of the FSC brand. And then we'll be talking about stuff like avant-garde solutions and... Are we lowering the bar for some groups to enter into the FSC system? Well, tricky question. As a starting point, I would say no, because as I've said before, we're trying to find a reasonable way to implement the principles and criteria in, in very, very different contexts. And for me, what really, really saddens me when I'm advising communities, for instance, and we're doing some field testing of national standards or, or some other things that we've been working on related to FSE certification is then when you know when you bump into something that I know for sure is related to clear cutting in the Baltic states or something like that. And then I hear auditors talking to communities about how to implement that in the community setting in Bolivia. It's just that is insane in my opinion. And it really saddens me that as a practitioner you bump into into situations like that. I'm sure if the community and the auditor, if they have a lot of insight in the FSC system, they would probably find out that they could probably argue their way around this requirement. But just the fact that they are actually discussing how to implement it in, in such a setting is just showing me that it, we are completely off the chart. And so what we are trying to do is to refit the FSC to serve a purpose that can be useful for communities, which is, I, in my opinion, it's not lowering the bar. It's just setting the bar the right place. Mm -hmm. But Vera, you talked about them only having to live up to half of the requirements. How do we make sure that they don't just have an easy access into FSC and that they actually improve over time? Because they are required to submit the action plan and there will be audits every year, like any other certificate holder. If they fail to conform with the rules of FSE, there are ways to kick them out of the system by the certification bodies. But uh, for example, in the case of small scale, which is usually the most risky one, when you have a group of people coming together, being managed by a single entity, manager. The rules of the group can also design additional provisions to, to cater for misbehaved. Sometimes there are failures related with uh, the lack of knowledge, the lack of expertise. Sometimes there are failures that are done on purpose. And it's not only the Community and Family First program that works on that. FSE has additional units and programs working on how to identify this uh, kind of situation. So we do have lots of safeguards in place. Mm -hmm. But how much slack do they then have? Because, I mean, everything won't always go according to plan. All of us know stuff happens. I mean, are we just kicking them out or are we giving them a bit more time to adjust due to their size and the difficulty for them to comply with FSE? There's a provision in there which allows them to fail on a percentage of their actions in the action plan from year to year, as far as I remember. But the most important point, Loa, is you have to remember that the whole thing is based on a very, very long and thorough discussion of risk. So we have mm -hmm. discussed at length the risk associated with every single criteria in the principles and, and criteria. It's only the criteria we have considered to be relatively low risk that they are allowed to implement over time. In terms of the risk of serious credibility issues for the FSC, for instance, 
I would say that it's a much, much more serious credibility issue for the FC if they continue to have a system that is not working for communities and smallholders than if you have a few smallholders or communities that are not complying with a couple of criteria here and there. Most indigenous communities, for instance, they have fighting to preserve their forests. They're not into deforestation or large-scale agro-industry development and stuff like that. They're actually trying desperately to fight against that, to preserve their culture and their forest and their heritage. It's a completely different context. And, and I think the continuous improvement procedure reflects that risk, which is different from other types of management units. Mm-hmm. And if I may add to what Jens was saying, we do acknowledge that the continuous improvement It's a little bit sailing new waters. We are discovering how this will uh, be implemented on the grounds. And both uh, from the international level, but also the national uh, teams that have decided to start exploring the use of continuous improvement in order to grow certified there in their countries, we are working very close together. So we will be supporting, develop their local capacity to train the local experts to hand in hand with the certification bodies and the the client's interest on going towards certification using the continuous improvement procedure. How this will work out? What are the challenge and the requirement clear? We playing with so many pieces at the same time that uh, from the program from the international perspective and with the national teams, we are now in an implementation support phase. Mm -hmm. So we would like a lot to see how this goes and we are prepared to course correct quickly. So everyone within the system is ready to to work on that. Mm -hmm. And actually brings me to a a question that I perhaps forgot to ask in in the beginning because we're doing so much. We're really trying so hard to adapt our system to fit this group of forest owners, and they sound really small. Why is it so important that we get them certified? Because they own and manage huge areas of forest. Very simple, I said. And and in addition, especially indigenous communities, they manage some of the most biodiverse, rich, and important forest we have on the face of the planet. So it's, it's very simple. Just to give you an idea, I think the latest number I've seen from Latin America is that of the remaining dense forest in in Latin America, it's at least a third that is owned by indigenous communities. And that number is growing every day because the forest around the indigenous people territories is very quickly being deforested and converted into other types of land use. I would say that there are lots of reasons for us to continue to, to make an effort for these constituents from uh, a market perspective, in many regions, even the, the small scale, the tiny, teeny holders, they are key sources of supply. Think about uh, the rubber. The entire rubber value chain, the global value chain, is depending about 85% on, on small holdings. This is quite uh, quite important. It's, this is not the only sector where the, that happens. From a mission perspective, it's clear by the amount of forests that are owned and managed by, by them and by the fact that the FSE always strive to be equitable system. So we do need to make the system also relevant, workable, able to be used by these users. 
And from a, a more global perspective, the topics that are now in the global sustainability agendas, it's probably one of the few organizations that has the possibility to have such a unique positioning in terms of the solution that offers. Not only the, the experience that it has, but the, it, it's so encompassing. When we talk about maintaining biodiversity, doing that on a mainstream level, what better than what we offer? We still propose to use, to manage the forest. We are not saying that we are not touching the forest. We are giving value to the forest. And this will be a unique way to offer biodiversity conservation or maintenance using our solutions as well. And if we truly move towards a landscape approach where we can play with other land-based systems, we can truly offer a, a really interesting uh, way forward to address these uh, very important global topics. Mm -hmm. I only have a few questions left for the two of you before I let you go. We had Jens talk about the next items on his list, what he'd love to see us do before. So Vera, what's your next dream to make a reality? Now we have continuous improvement. We've been working in the last two years with uh, what we called a couple of business and market related tools which operate on the pre-certification phase. And we are quite exciting to start the scaling up the use of this tool. So the economic viability tool, it does uh, uh, work with the communities. And right now it's very adapted to natural tropical forests to with keep people from that community to understand what are the possible scenarios they can pursue. So we start by identifying their, their resources, both in terms of cattle, agriculture, forests, uh, see what kind of forest products or ecosystem services they can have, see what's their self-consumption and what could be delivered to the markets. And this is done on a very participatory way. So we do follow what is truly culturally appropriate for a community decision-making process. And based on that, uh, we can uh, empower them to pursue certification if it makes sense. Or at least we have been helping to find local partners that can help crystallize responsible forest management. It's exactly what our Indigenous colleagues have been referring, is empowering them to be making their own decisions, to pursue self-determination. That is my next focus for the next year. So catering a bit before we can today for some of these groups. Jens, would you like a chance to just quickly recap your dreams for what's coming up next? First of all, I think we still have some way to, to go in, in relation to simplifying standards for smallholders and communities. And although I do agree with Vera on that the group certification schemes can be a solution for a large proportion of those very smallholders I was referring to before, I still think that we need to look into that because you don't have organizations like you have in Portugal or Denmark that can easily organize and provide FSC certification for a huge number of smallholders. So I still think we have some way to go to try and really look into how far we can go to simplify the principles and criteria for the very, very small holders. And then I see a very big potential in ecosystem services as well. If we manage to design a, a feasible package of forest management and ecosystem service certification for smallholders and communities, and the FSC really engage in trying to create the sponsorships, the market links to sponsors for services, 
like carbon sequestration, biodiversity, habitat uh, for biodiversity, water, that kind of thing, which is increasingly important for some of the big uh, companies on a global scale because they have to report to their own internal targets on these issues, then I think we can start to generate some serious funding that could funnel into management of areas managed by smallholders and communities, and thus finally bring them into the FSC system. It's something that I think everybody in the FSC system agrees on. It's crucial for the FSC to deliver on issues like indigenous people and conservation of intact forest landscapes, uh, high conservation values. And I think that package will be able to deliver, I hope so, on those issues in the future. It requires that the FSC takes it seriously and it requires that the FSC commit itself to playing a role in this. And I think that is really crucial to achieve it. Mm -hmm. So if I am to conclude a bit, it sounds like the both of you are actually a bit hopeful. We might have cracked a nut on how we can increase the relevance of FSC on a global scale and potentially make our system overall more fit for purpose. More than hopeful, optimistic. I'm more optimistic now than I've been for many years, but I continue to say that there's still a long way to go. For instance, on continuous improvement, the working group delivered uh, several pages of enabling conditions to the board that were outside of the scope of, of the technical working group, but crucial for the successful implementation of both the continuous improvement, but also some issues that I have mentioned, like simplification and stuff like that, that are still really necessary to continue working on, because otherwise the continuous improvement itself will not solve everything. That's it. Thank you to Vera and Jens for letting me in on what continuous improvement actually means and what the potential positive impact could be. And of course, where we still need to fix more things because there will always be things to fix. I guess we will have to return to this topic in a year's time and see whether the concept really was worth the wait. And also, whether this new approach has truly helped unlock other areas of development and ways of doing things in FSC. If not, I'm sure that Jens and other very engaged members in FSC will continue to keep us on our toes and push for solutions being developed and implemented. Remember to subscribe to Forest of the Future if you want to get notified of new episodes. You can also always get in touch with me on podcast at fsc.org. I am Laura Worm and this was Forest for the Future.